0: in the likeness of men, him being God, right, took upon himself and made himself in the fashion of a man. That is uh, the most extraordinary example of the humility that is found on the face of the earth. There's never been a greater example than that, and that is where this verse is is, is flowing out of, this pure example of humility. Then he says... Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why is that? Because it's those two things that are going to be full of pride. So looking at your heavenly example, now this is the way that you live. These are the things that you do. Christ was one that avoided these things. He avoided grumblings and doubtful reasonings. Uh, He did not open his mouth whenever he was being accused there in front of Pilate. Other times we find him just simply answering with the Word of God, not arguing with the Pharisees. He didn't argue with them. He just told them like it was, and he said it straight to them, and he gave them the Word of God. And Jesus ought to be our motivation, amen? I mean, that really ought to be our motivation with everything that we do. That's why I'm giving that first heading to you, because... We ought to do all things without murmuring and disputings because of our example Jesus Christ. Now if we don't do it with a motivation of Jesus Christ then just understand that there comes a day when God will judge all things even the intents of the heart. So does that mean that if we have a wrong motive that it's okay to do wrong? No, sometimes you still have to do you still need to do right. It's better to do right with a wrong motive, right? Right. Yes, that, that 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 is right. Okay, even if you have the wrong motive, right? It's better not to kill my wife, right? Uh, right. Better to hold back on that. I know that's a very uh, gruesome. I didn't mean to say it like that, but you understand what I'm saying. If it's better to not do something wrong, it better do something to do something right than and have the wrong motive and say, "Well, uh, better not to go." Say, so, you know, you walk in the bank tomorrow and you go man i 'm really short on cash, but I know if I rob the bank, I'll go to jail. you know now you're not, you ought not rob the bank because you love Jesus. Amen. That ought to be the reason you don't rob the bank. but if that escapes you, then I hope you'll fall back on the other ones. okay Does that make sense uh, So why do we not do all th- why do we do all things without murmurings and disputings uh well, because it just causes conflict and problem. Yeah, that's one of the reasons. But the main reason is because I love God, I love Christ, and I want to do what Jesus asked me to do. Secondly, I would say this, is that uh, we see here in our text, it says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. I'm not going to speak on the murmuring aspect tonight, only because I have dealt so much with that on Sunday nights with the children of Israel and... And their complainings and their murmurings, and we still have more of that to deal with with the life of Moses. And so I feel like I've taken you through that pretty well and pretty extensively. But nonetheless, I do think that an order here is very important. You have the murmuring first and then the disputing. I believe that shows to us an order that usually what happens in a general, say, in a general, in a general way, a group will start to grumble and complain... And then the disputings will come. The disputations, the arguments will begin to take place. First it's the grumbling, the complaining, the, the murmuring, then the arguing. You have a group that starts to complain about somebody in the church. You have some that start to take sides in a church. Then you begin to have factions and divisions. And then you got one church group that doesn't like the other church group. And then there's disputation. But it all began with murmuring. Now, you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 10. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Notice what Paul says here. He's speaking to a factious church here who uh, is getting rebuked by him. And in verse number 10, he says to them, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ... That you speak all things, speak that you all speak the same thing. That uh, sounds a lot like what we're saying here in Philippians. Look, not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Look, that you speak all the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it have been declared of, unto me of you by my by my brethren, by them which are of the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, every one of you that saith, uh, I am of Paul, and I am Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. Uh, He goes on to say uh, more things about baptism and things of that nature, but you get the point here. You've got a church that was being divisive. And... uh, it all started with the murmuring, with the complaining. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 3. And it kind of gives them the conclusion on this. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions. See, there, there it is envy and that envy and starts in the heart. It starts with the complaints, it starts with the murmurs, and then it goes to strife, and then it goes to divisions. And then he says, um, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and uh, another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal, fleshly-minded? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? Even in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 and verse number 20, there's still some issues with that because Paul is further rebuking them for these things. Well, how does it all start? It starts with murmuring. It starts with complaining. It starts with a few whispers and a few grumbles. Uh, take, if you will, your Bibles over to the Gospel of Mark, and, uh, and Mark chapter number 14, and verses number 3 and 5, and I'll just tell you real quick what's going on there, is that that's where Mary is breaking the alabaster box on Jesus' head, and what happens? They start to murmur. They start to complain. Well, why is she doing this? Why it's going on? And then there's a discussion. Well, this could have been given to the poor. Remember that? Well, they, they, they could have, they could have, she could have done this with that, and we could have done that with this, and all these kinds of things. But it began with these little whisperings, these little murmurings. And who started that? Judas, Judas did, that's right. The traitor did. He put a, put a little grumble in somebody's mind, and then the rest of the apostles took on to that, and then they started to uh, discuss it. Did you see that? Discuss it. Too many times, spiritual things are discussed. And it's not a discussion, it's really rather an argument. And it's a disputation. And it's something that the Bible warns us about. The third heading I would be this is that this particular command that's given to us in Philippians 2 is practical and it's twofold. It's practical because you look throughout your Bible uh, and you're going to find it everywhere. It's practical also in this matter is that you need to just cut it off. Cut it off at the head. Do all things without murmurings. Stop it right away. Don't let it persist. Don't let it continue. You find murmuring and grumbling in your heart and somebody rebukes you for it or you're rebuked by God, the Holy Spirit then just stop. Don't keep on with it. The reason why murmurings are allowed to go into disputations and disputings is because of the second reason, and that is immaturity. We oftentimes will grumble, will complain, will murmur. We don't know when to stop, and because we're either spiritually immature or we're carnal, we allow that to persist. And then it spills over into arguments and bickering and into this thing called disputings. So how do we do this? How do we stay away from the disputing aspect? Well, obviously we need to stay away from murmuring. But what's going to compel us, what's going to help us, besides the love of God and Jesus Christ, to uh, help us to be better Christians and more equipped so that we're not... Disputing, So we're stay away from this. Well, the first thing I think we need to notice tonight is this, and this is where your notes really pick up, is that number one is that the sin is pre-New Testament. I just thought, I, I don't know if that's a real word or not, but pre-New Testament. Uh, if you go to the garden, I think that's your second blank. If you go to the garden, you're going to find this sin in the garden. Most of the time, you can take your doctrinal teachings as you can go back to Genesis 1 through three, 1 through 12. A lot of times, most of the doctrines of the Bible are taught right there in the very beginning of the book. It's an amazing thing to me, uh, if you go through and look at it. But what do you find at the beginning of the book? You find this statement in Genesis three. You find Satan murmuring against God. He says, ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Satan is registering a complaint against God. He's saying, God's holding back from you. He knows if you eat this, then you'll be like him. So he's registering, he's starting to murmur. And Eve falls right forward, and she goes right into it. And then what stems from that? What comes out of the murmuring? Well, then everybody's bickering. Adam's bickering with God. Adam's talking to God and, and bickering to God, and, and, he, and Eve is bickering about Satan. Think about this. Even Adam is arguing with God, and he's saying, you're the one that gave her to me. Think about that. It doesn't seem that serious whenever you read Philippians 2:14, sometimes do all things without murmurings or disputings. But then all of a sudden, you find murmurings and disputings being brought to a level where somebody is literally arguing with God and saying, "God, you don't know what you're doing." How did all that start? Just a little bit of murmuring, a little bit of complaining. Take your Bible to James chapter number three and verse number 14. James alludes to this also in his epistle, James 3.14. For he says to us, If you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Verse 15, listen to it. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly sensual, what's the next word? Devilish. 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 For where envy and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. Nobody taught us to argue. It's in our flesh to do so. It was handed down to us from our parents in the garden, and we've been doing it ever since. And it leads to all kinds of evils. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, you find a list of of ungodly deeds. And they're kind of categorized into sensual deeds. Uh, And then you have some, uh, uh, the idolatry and witchcraft. You've got some devilish deeds. But then you've got the ones, the hatred deeds. And he says, these are the works of the flesh. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath... Strife, seditions, heresies, enviance, murders. So you can take strife. You see, out of strife comes every evil work. Out of disputing can come even somebody uh, murdering somebody. That happens on a daily basis, doesn't it? People are arguing with one another, and somebody doesn't like what somebody else says, and so they kill them for it. Now, of course... We're not, I, I hope we're not going to that kind of level or that kind of extreme in the church, um, but it's there for us as an example to see that it leads to all of these ungodly deeds. And we need to be careful with it. We need to be watchful that we don't murmur and that we don't let that lead into disputations. Uh, the second thing is this, is that it started in the garden, but secondly, we see that this is specifically taught to us from the book of Proverbs. The Proverbs. You've got the garden. This is pre-New Testament. And then you've got the Proverbs. You've got the Proverbs. They, the Proverbs steer us clear from this type of living, for the Bible says in Proverbs 13.10, I believe it might be in your notes, only by pride cometh Contention but with the well-advised is wisdom. Only by what? What is it? Everybody got their notes? Do I, do I, have, that in the, do I have that verse in the notes or do I not? Proverbs 13, yes, it's there. it's there. Okay, so everybody's got it. So uh, Proverbs 13, 10. What, what is it? Only by what? Pride. Pride cometh contention. That's it. Only one comment with this verse, and that is this. That is why I pointed out at the beginning of the message Jesus' humility. Ninety nine percent of these issues regarding murmurings and disputings could probably be resolved with a good dose of humility. That would really solve most of it. What did Pastor Bobby say? He said, I'll germex this one, right? 99.99%, you know, that was his term, germ exit. So we've got to be careful with these things. And third, um, this is, before we get to even to the New Testament, a wise person will appease strife. So there is the appeasement factor. What does the word appease mean? It means to settle the argument. Proverbs 15, 17, and 18, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. He knows how to settle things without getting into an argument. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So number 1 was the pre-Old Testament. Uh, I think underneath that was the garden, the proverbs, and then the appeasement of strife. Number 2, number 2, this sin is pre-New Testament, but secondly, I would tell you tonight that how we're going to be better equipped, we need to understand this this goes a long ways back. We need to see its history. It's not something new. It's not something that we're just dealing with. It's not something that you and your wife just dealt with or you and your, uh, your family just dealt with a couple of days ago or a couple of years ago. No, this is something that's happening for a long time and it's something that we still need to deal with and it's probably something that you're going to have to deal with in the near future. The sin is not only pre-New Testament, but secondly, it's pervasive. It's pervasive. It's broad. It's expansive. It goes everywhere. And it enters into nearly every single arena in the church. Take your Bibles over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 15, and notice with me in verse number 2 and also verse number 7. In fact, as I was studying this out, I really am convinced that every epistle and every gospel and the book of Acts, probably everywhere but the Uh, book of Revelation, and you might even argue that it's there too, that there is some warning, some discussion, some resolution, some putting down, or some exhortation to stay away from disputation. You find it nearly everywhere, given to us all over the place. Why? Because it is so pervasive. It happens so much. It's so expansive. It goes on all the time. And we have to deal with this. We have to know how to deal with it. We're not to do with it. We're not to dabble in it. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Acts 15. Notice the word here. In verse number 1, it tells us a little context. You have some men coming down there to Judea, and they said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, that's a problem. Amen? Amen? That's a problem. That's called a heresy. Okay? That's a heresy. There was men that came into, uh, and and they were probably, and, and some of them might have been well-meaning in their thoughts. They were probably converted Jews, and they thought to themselves, you know, we need to uh, initiate this thing and get the ball rolling on circumcision. I mean, God initiated it with Abraham, and that's how it all got going. But they uh, little did they Think through the matter like Paul does and tells us that that Abraham believed in his uncircumcision. And so that doesn't have anything to do with salvation. It was assigned to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. So the Bible says in verse number 2, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem and to, uh, the, uh, and to the apostles and elders about this question. Okay? Now again, I said 99% of this could probably be resolved with a good dose of humility. I don't know. Maybe Paul and Barnabas were a little prideful here. Maybe they wanted their side to be heard. I don't know. We're not for sure about this. We just know there was some Disputations going on, there were some discussions happening. It's elevated, it's brought to another level because in verse number 7, and when there had been much disputing, you see that? There had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe and he goes on to preach a message to them, and he draws out many references from the Word of God. So in the early church, they were already dealing with these discussions, these disputations, these problems that were going on. And so Peter steps up, and by the power of God and the Word of God, he settles these things down. He puts it down. Now you see that happen with Jesus a lot. One of the ways to quiet disputation is the word of God. The word of God. Peter just lays it out there. He says, "Okay, guys, listen. We're done we're done with this. We're done discussing it, we're done arguing about it, we're done disputing it. Let's hear the word of God on the matter." And what does the word of God do? It closes our mouths. Because you can't argue against God's Word. You can't argue in it. You can say, I don't believe that, right? But you can't argue against it. It's the truth. It's the Word of God. So Peter lays it out for him. It was pervasive. It was going on in the early church. But take your Bibles over to Mark chapter number 9 and verse number 33. (laughs) This is amazing to me. I'm telling you, this thing is everywhere. It gets in all of us. It got into the apostles. You find it in the early church, but you also find it in the twelve. In Mark chapter number 9 and verse number 33, and he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. They were arguing about what? Well, I'm going to be greater than you. No, I'm going to be greater than you. No, you're going to be, I'm going to be greater than you. And they were all arguing about this thing and disputing about this thing. And Jesus calls them to the floor, calls them out on the, on the carpet and says, Hey, what are y'all talking about? What were y'all disputing back there? You don't think I'm the God of all the universe that knows everything? You know, I was walking about a half a mile in front of you, but I heard everything that you were saying. I knew what you guys were talking about. What would have resolved that argument? Anybody know? Anybody want to take a guess at this? Humility and the Word of God. Both of them. That would have helped out. Paul and Barnabas. Go back to Acts chapter number 15. I'm sorry, I should have told you to hold your place. Forgive me for that. But Acts 15 in verse number 39, maybe it will do you good, good to do a little Bible thumbing tonight, right? Back and forth here. Acts chapter 15 in verse number 39. It never occurred to me until I was in this study that... The disputations and uh, discussions and all the things that are going on in Acts chapter number 15, the dissension, the the I like how the Bible, the King James words it, no small dissension, much disputings. It never occurred to me that these arguments that were taking place at the beginning of the chapter, and you turn to the end of the chapter, Acts chapter 15 and verse number 39, and the Bible says, and the contention was so sharp between them, they departed asunder from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus, and Paul took, chose Silas. Could it be that party spirit had not left either one of these men yet? They were still underneath, as Galatians says, some emulation. You know what emulation is? Fired up. That's what emulation is. You ever got fired up by something? And that fire kind of carried over and burnt somebody else? None of y'all ever had that happen before, right? I've never, I've, I've never had that happen before, you know? Something happens at work. Something happens in your family. And then, boom, it carries over. to. I mean, it's like you're a wildfire. Emulation. Could there be some emulation going on here? I don't know. You tell me. You've got a large argument at the beginning of the chapter, and then before it's all said and done, you've got another large contention that happens between these two great apostles. So much to the point that they can't even be with each other anymore. They have to leave each other. And uh, we pl- sometimes we play these, these men up so much as perfect But the Bible is so good to us to let us see their frailties. That these were men of frailty. These were not gods. These were men. They were apostles. They're the the foundation, the prophets and the apostles, the Ephesians says, are the foundations of of the church. But listen to me. They weren't the cornerstone. Amen? They weren't the cornerstone. They were still frail. They still had problems. They still had issues. And what's amazing to me is this, is that Paul, I believe, was prideful in this because he repents of it, and it's in the inspired scriptures. The inspired word of God tells us that Paul writes a letter and says, now bring Mark with you, for he is profitable unto the ministry. He had a change of mind. What is a change of mind? Repentance. Repentance is what it is. And I don't care who you are tonight. Nobody's going to convince me here tonight that Paul and Barnabas were not prideful. Only by pride cometh contention. That's it. You can disagree with me. But the Bible says it's plain. It's clear. There's some pride happening here. And then Peter Galatians chapter 2 and verses number 11 through 14. I won't go through all the verses tonight, but uh, Peter is caught up in a disputation. And on this time, on this occasion, Paul is not in the wrong. He is not the one that's being contentious, but rather he's the one that sees the contention. And so he's the one that has to rebuke the contention. He rebukes Peter for this. Because Peter was carried away and so much the more that Barnabas was even carried away with all these disputations that were going on. So what am I saying here tonight is that, is that, yes, this can be relegated to oftentimes to immature believers, but never at all be so prideful to think just because I'm not an immature believer or a young believer anymore that I can't get caught up in this party spirit also. You can. The apostles did. All right. The apostles got caught up in this, these contentions and debates and strifes and envies and all these kinds of things. One time somebody came to church and they said, uh, you know, I just want to come to a church where I can debate. I said, well, you're at the wrong church. So we're not here for debate and disputations. Later on, that guy got saved and he came back, you know. And guess what left him? A debating spirit. Why? Because he had Christ. And Christ was no debater. He wasn't a debater, he was one that gave the Word of God, he was one that remained humble. In fact, the Bible tells us to stay away from this kind of crowd. For it says in 1 Timothy 6.3, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, that is, arguments, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. So Paul tells us, don't don't be around this. Withdraw yourself from this. Stay away from this crowd. So that brings me to my last point tonight. And that is this. We can prevail over this sin. We can overcome this sin. We can prevail over it. I've already given to you two main sources of our power over this sin. They are the Word of God and humility. But the Bible outlines for us many others. It gives us several others for the battle. Number one is this, letter A, separate. I just said that to you and I've already read that to you, but I'll read it to you in another place in Romans. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. And avoid them. It seems like Paul has learned something since Acts chapter number 15, hasn't he? It does. He has learned. He has grown in his faith with Jesus Christ and with God. Because now he's writing to us to avoid these things, to avoid these matters. Uh, Letter B, we can prevail over this sin by simply separating. By simply moving on. But letter B, we can do so also by being slow to anger. James chapter number 1, verse number 19 teaches us, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. What happens a lot of times in arguings is this, is that you think you're right... And you think if you argue hard enough and if you show enough anger that you can convince that person to do right also. But the wrath of man does not work out the righteousness of God. You can't work out somebody else's righteousness in their life. You can't do it. The Bible says plainly, and I already read that we studied this last week, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You can't can't work out somebody else's salvation, my friend. You can't get them right with God. I'm just going to get them right with God. You can't do that. You've got to approach somebody with meekness and with with humility and with love and with kindness if you're going to rebuke them. And if you do rebuke them, don't think it's because you rebuke them that they're going to change. No, it's only the grace of God that any of us change. Amen? Amen? It's on the grace of God that any of us repent of anything. Why? Because the Bible says that God grants unto them repentance. It is a grant given unto us. It is not something we earn. It is not something we do. It is not something we can force a career on anybody. It is something of the grace of God working in our hearts and His mercy overshining our faults and our errors and God helping us along to repent. So be slow to anger. Be long-suffering. Be patient with others. Work at being slow to anger and appeasing strife. Don't be one to stir up strife. Be one to appease it. Letter C, I would would tell you this. Be thoughtful of younger believers. The admonition given to us in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 1 is simple. It says... Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. There are some that are weak in the faith. They're young in the faith. And they've got all of these uh, questions and concerns about days and about weeks and about foods and about all of these kinds of things. Uh, He says, receive them in the faith. Receive them. You got somebody that comes into your congregation this way? He says, receive them. That's fine. But not into doubtful disputations. You don't receive them so you can have an argument with them. Amen? You don't receive them so that you can... I'm just going to convince John that plaid shirts are wrong. You know? I'm going to show him from the Scriptures. He don't need to be wearing plaid shirts anymore. You know? If you're watching by FaceTime, John's wearing a plaid shirt, all right? And disclaimer, I have no problem with plaid shirts, obviously. So uh, it's not really plaid, but whatever, checkered. Um, The point being is this, is that I'm not to receive him unto doubtful disputations. I'm not just to receive somebody so that I can argue with them. And then letter D, you have this in your notes, but avoid doubtful arguments, the text is the texts there are, are in front of you, 1 Timothy 1, 4, 6, 4, 7, 620, all of the rest of them. Uh, these deal with these doubtful disputations. He says, don't be arguing about genealogies and science falsely so-called. Well, you know, there's, no, there's no point in all of this. Jewish fables. How many angels can stand on the head of a pen? You know that used to be a famous thing. Don't, we've got better. we got time for better things than this. Okay. Don't receive. Don't be doing this. Avoid doubtful arguments. You know, I find it interesting as you study the life and teaching of Jesus Christ that he always avoided doubtful arguments. They question there was a. There's always this. There's always about four opinions on what what somebody does with divorce, right? Four, four or five opinions about this. There's opinions, people, they, they, and so what did they do? They, they, they brought that to Jesus, didn't they? They brought him to him. They wanted, a, they wanted to catch him in some kind of doubtful disputation. There's always questions, and you always got people in the church that are questioning about this taxes. Should we pay our taxes? Should we not? I mean, they're giving our tax dollars to raise up idols to worship with Caesar. Should we pay our taxes? Should we pay our taxes? They're using our tax dollars to fund abortions. You know, there's all of these, these questions. And they, guess what they did? They went to Jesus with a doubtful disputation. They talked about marriage in heaven, didn't they? Remember that time? Oh, we're gonna be, is there going to be marriage in heaven and sometimes people get into this, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna know my wife, and we're gonna have a good time, and we're just gonna be all married and everything. Listen, you're not gonna be married in heaven. Okay? I hate to break it to anybody here tonight, all right? All right, we're as the angels. Okay? Jesus said it plainly. You can, I believe you'll know your spouse, but it's not gonna be the same, it's gonna be different. So what does Jesus do with all of these doubtful doubtful disputations? I'll tell you what he does. He gives them the word of God. He doesn't argue or banter with them or take sides with one particular class or the other. He just simply says, this is the word of God. Well, what do you think about, can a man divorce his wife? In the beginning it was not so. (laughs) He just lays it out for him, doesn't he? Hey, should a man pay taxes, or should he uh, should he give unto Caesar, or should he should he not? He says, "Give unto Caesar's what's Caesar's, and give unto God what's God's." What is what is well, he says? What's on that What's on that coin, a superscription? Whose is that? That's Caesar's. Just go ahead and give it to him. Give what's Caesar Caesar's. But what's on, what's what's on you, the image of God? Give to God your life. You know, if more of us got to give in our... If I think what Jesus is trying to teach is that if we gave our lives to God more, we'd stop worrying about all the other doubtful disputations going on. We'd have less problems and issues. And finally, Jesus answered them, You do error, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. And that's oftentimes where we run into our issues with, dis, with disputations is that we just do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God. We need to be careful. Finally, how can we prevail over this sin? We must learn to separate at times, be slow to anger, thoughtful of younger believers, avoid doubtful arguments, and finally, be at peace with people. Be at peace with people. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Or if you want to say it this way, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be categorized as the children of God. That's what they're going to be known as. Somebody that's a peacemaker, that's a son of God, a daughter of God, they'll be categorized as a child of God. That's a child of God. How can I tell they're a peacemaker? They want to make peace with people. They're not happy to live in strife and and contention. I give you all the verses there, but Romans 12, 18 is very popular. If it be possible, as as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. We are to live peaceably as much as we can with people. Esteem them very highly in love and works sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. I like that Hebrews reference. It's a good indicator to us that we don't just say, well, you know, I'm just going to live at peace with everybody and, you know, who cares who's sinning or, you know, I can just put up with sin. That's not what he's saying. He says, follow peace and holiness with all men. It's not that you just tolerate sin, but you learn how to live peaceably with people in such a way that is pleasing unto God. This wisdom that is first pure, that is, that is from above, is first pure, it's peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good work, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and the fruit of peace and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Go after it. Go after peace. Go after peace. Seek peace. Seek resolution. Don't seek to argue. Seek resolution. These are some of the ways that we can prevail over this sin. And it is a sin that comes at us, as I hope we've seen. It's very pervasive. It goes all the way back past the New Testament, all the way to our garden, all the way to the garden. And it's a sin we need to be careful of and need to be warned of. May God help us to do all things without murmurings and disputings. Amen? God help us. We're going to go ahead and take up prayer requests tonight. And uh, we need to be praying for our revival. Amen? Got a revival.